Hey lovelies, if you're listening to this the week it is released, then I would like to make sure you know all about the pre-order for my newest design, the snuggle dress. The snuggle dress is my version of a sweater dress that just like a good snuggle with someone you love is designed to make you feel incredible. It's made of a luxurious knit fabric and features a mock neckline and puff sleeves with a tight cuff. The body of this dress is cocoon shaped so you can move about your day comfortably. It's not one of those like knit dresses that is super tight and makes you uncomfortable. It's exactly the opposite of all of those actually. Uh, My favorite part, it comes in two beautiful colors, a rich mustard yellow and a deep black. It comes in sizes extra small through 2X. The sizing is equivalent to my regular range of sizes 2 through 24. The pre-order will be open from Tuesday evening, November 2nd through early Friday morning, November 5th. The link is in the show notes. If it still works or you still see it listed on impactfashionnyc.com, then you can still pre-order. Pre-ordering guarantees you get the size and color you want and allows you to shop stress-free without any launch day jitters. When it does come in, quantities will be limited because my stock room truly is not that big. Pre-order the snuggle dress and learn more by going to impactfashionnyc.com. Enjoy the show. From Impact Fashion, it's Be Impactful, a show about the women making a difference in their own corners of the world. And on today's show, I talk with the founder of the first exclusively plus size modest clothing brand. She shares why she's so passionate about clothes, why she thinks she'll probably always struggle with her body image, being single in a marriage for this world. We also discuss competition and influencers. I knew D. Rama before I knew Rahama Jaffa. We often share space on some very short lists of plus-size friendly modest fashion brands. So when we did first meet, I just went, oh, you're the D-Rama chick. And she said, you must be impact. And the rest is history. We have different and also similar paths to the same niche in this business. And as you'll soon hear, Rukama is someone who is insightful and recognizes that it's about a whole lot more than the clothes. What was I like as a little kid? Probably as loud as I am now. <laughs> um, always surprising. <laughs> Always making trouble. I was constantly in the principal's office. Literally, I went to the best high school ever. So instead of getting punished, literally, I used to go to lunch with my principal every time I got thrown out of class. Um, I always loved clothes and fashion to the point where I one time didn't want to leave a store. I hid in the store and they had to shut down the store to find me because they thought I was missing. (laughs) Wow. I love clothes. Like if you were in my room right now, you would see. I have a big walk-in closet and then a rack right outside my closet, which is fully full. I, you like, have you always loved clothes, always been interested in it? Do you remember a time when you weren't interested in clothes? I've always loved clothes to the point where like I worked in a baby's children's like clothing store, designer clothing store in Bar Park for a year and a half before Dirama even existed. And I obviously am single and not married. And I have a box of baby clothes that like, I just love. And I can't wait to put it on my kids. I love clothes. I love fashion. I, I don't know. It's just something I'm like super into. I am a huge subscriber to Vogue magazine, to Mary Claire, to like so many others. And I don't know, like, I just, it's something that I really like, I find it's like beautiful and like, it's an expression on a person, like, you know? Right. Did you, what was it about like, what was it about that expression that really just made you tap into clothes? Cause I know that for me, it was always about like clothes were always just a way to tell the world who you are without opening your mouth. And that, and the fact that I could do that just by like picking the accessories that I liked or, or layering pieces that I liked or whatever. And obviously there's like a whole modesty conversation in that also, which we don't have to get into, but like what aspect of it, what aspect of clothes was it for you? That was like, these are my people. This is what I'm going to do. So Meaning like, how did it come about? Do you remember yeah. So I will tell you this, that like I've worked in many clothing stores before Diorama and the, my most favorite part about, I guess, shopping and also about clothing is that I love the reaction on someone's face the minute they feel beautiful. I think that's probably why before Diorama, literally a month before Diorama opened, like officially like became an idea and started, I actually went to makeup designery school in the city. I started, I paid for a full semester. And I think it's almost like it taps into the same thing. Like I wanted 
the same kind of, I needed to make someone else feel beautiful. I needed someone else to walk out of a room and be like, oh my God, I, I feel gorgeous. Like I wanted to give that to someone. I think that's what I tap into with the Rama and why I love the sales floor and why I'm in the store every day because I get so excited when someone leaves the store and they feel like a million bucks and it's like my favorite part. Um, but the way Drama really started, the truth is that when I was a little kid, my mother used to take me to Brenda's clothing store in Brooklyn. For those of you who don't know, it's a clothing store on 18th Avenue and it was my mother's really good friend who owned it. And my mother, I guess, was an avid shopper because I was there every Sunday. Um, and I used to stay there and work on Sundays and I would bring all the clothes and shop all the clothes. And I, I always had a passion for like stores and clothes, but I remember as a kid, I was on the heavier side and all the clothes and Brenda's never really fit me. And, um, I thought about it all the time. Like I wanted to make a plus size clothing line. I wanted to do fashion forward. I remember when I was in 10th grade, the charisma skirt was the most popular skirt out there. Everyone had it. And not only in black, they had it in purple and orange and there were colors galore. And I couldn't wear that skirt because if you have a fupa, yay, wearing a skirt that I looks like that. I couldn't skirt. wear it either. And I knew very few people who could and plenty of those who couldn't did. But yeah, and that was a, that was a big deal. All the girls in my class really wanted to wear one. And I remember like, like deep down, like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make a charisma skirt. I'm going to, and I kept saying, I kept saying it. And then, you know, I graduated high school and you go to seminary and you come back and you get a desk job, hoping that someone's going to marry you. Like, you know, the deal, like, mm -hmm. and it just didn't happen for me like that. I didn't go to seminary. I am very homesick type. I love my home. Um, I got a job at a nursing home. I worked there for two years. It was very, I don't want to use the word unfulfilling because I loved working with old people and I loved my nursing home job. But it wasn't my passion. It wasn't something that I felt like I was giving of myself to really. It was fun to dance with old people on the recreation floor, but like, it wasn't something that like, you know, I remember I was 23 years old. I was in a hotel lobby on a date with a guy. And he asked me like, what my aspirations in life are. Like, what are some things that you want to see for yourself? Like, what are, and I thought it was such a weird question. Cause like, it was so different from regular questions. And he was just like, I want to know, like, what do you see yourself in the future? And I said to him, it was a second date. And I guess I felt like, okay, I could just say whatever. No, well, I'm marrying him for sure. We've known each other for four hours. <laughs> I was like, I literally straight in his eyeball, looked at him and I'm like, I want to open up the first fully plus size clothes, clothing store and line. Like I want to make it. And he's like, you mean like from the movie Hairspray? I was like, oh God, no. I was like, no, I want to make a store that's fashion forward. And he looked at me straight in the eye and he said, you sure? And I'm like, yeah, why not? It's the coolest thing. Don't you get it? Like there is nothing. If you want to look fashion forward, you have to go to Macy's or you have to make things that's matronly and they don't get it. There's, there's so much room for this. And I was like getting all like pumped up and passionate. And he was like looking at me like I fell off the moon. And he said, listen, like people know that you're chubby, but once you put it out there that you're like the plus size blogger or the plus size girl, you can't take it back. Like it's just out there. And it died that night. My dream died that night. Literally. I remember. And then I did some more dumb jobs. I worked in the special children's center. I worked in a dentist office. I worked in, you name it. I worked there. Okay. I worked at my mother's more. I worked for bird by Sepia. I worked for the Brooklyn market. I worked for the frock. I literally, I, anywhere I could touch for a few months at a time, it was me. And um, I guess I learned a lot about the fashion industry and manufacturing clothes. And I got a lot of contacts over time. And I remember one summer I was with my friend. We made a trip. We went from Paris, Amsterdam, and London. We went to all these beautiful places. And I decided I'm just coming home and doing it. Like, that's it. Like, this is what I like. This is what I'm passionate about. Like, why would I not? I came home and obviously, you know, once you say you're doing something, you know, you have to do it, obviously. But I was nervous. I, I, I remember that boy saying it to me. So I signed up for that makeup school. I went for a month. And after three weeks, they make you do a demonstration on another person's face after everything you just learned in class. And I remember the girl, I remember so clearly this girl comes, they bring in these models, they sit in front of you. 
and it's supposed to test you on how your color swatching is, on how you deal with the clients, if you wash your hands, how you touch their skin, all different things. When you go to makeup school, they teach you. This girl sits in front of me and she is dark skinned, something I don't know. I'm very white skinned um, and she had pimples and I, I just, in that moment, I was just like, I'm never touching someone's face again. Like, this is not for me. I can't do it. I don't know how you do it. And I was very nervous. I was like jittery and I picked the wrong colors. I, I came home that night and I told my parents, that's it. Tomorrow I quit makeup school. My mother's like, well, then you have to pay me the $1,500. I paid her. You know, like my mother was yeah. like, you have to pay me. I was like, oh my God. Oh my God. I went the next day. I, I didn't go to the makeup school. I quit. I called them in. I told them I'm not doing it. I went to a manufacturer's office here in Brooklyn. I asked him to please direct me. I said, I know you for so many years. Like, maybe you could direct me. And he's like, you have to put up money. And I started getting nervous because I was a working girl who bought Chanel all day. There was no savings at all. Like, yeah, I was like, I was like I'm not borrowing from my parents because then like, there's like deals up the wazoo. If you're not home at this time, then you owe us this much. I was just like, I can't, I can't do this. Okay. So I have to figure out a way to make sure that if I ordered a product, I would be able to pay. And I don't want to borrow money from anyone. So I had to find somebody that decided that they would take a chance on me and I would pay them after my season, like, or middle or on the start. And when you're a new company, it's a very scary promise someone because otherwise you'd owe them a lot of money. So I started with three items and I started out of my parents' basement. I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know if it would just be online or in person or I didn't know. At that time, though, I was very plus size. Um, I'm, I'm sure I'll get into it over time that I'm not anymore, but I was very plus size and I was passionate as hell. That's really how it really took off. I was super, super passionate. And I think one thing led to the no another, like three items turned into, I have 86 products at the moment. Um, and it's just, I, over a year, I went from my parents' basement, which by the way, never run a beat, uh, a storefront out of your parents' basement. It's not good for, you know, the house life. Um, but after a year and a half of it, my parents needed their bedrooms back and they were like, you can't use them as stock rooms and changing rooms. And it's time to, you know, get out literally two months before COVID actually started in January. I opened the storefront. Um, it was very challenging, you know, two months later to be having a storefront, needing to pay rent, having your landlord literally there on the first of every month um, and COVID be making us shut down and all and not knowing like very unknown. It was very scary, very scary times. Um, I think I learned a lot about business and people and customers and uh, wholesale customers during COVID. Um, there was definitely challenging times and there was definitely things I learned in that process and things that I made mistakes on. I think that, I think that the major lesson with, let's say me, why somebody could learn something from me is that in our society as religious Jews, there's like a system to how mm -hmm. things work. Girls go to high school, you get to seminary, you get married, you get a car, you get a house, you get a baby, you get an eternity band, you get a this, a necklace, a that. And it's very systematic. With me, I'm the polar opposite. I didn't have a plan. I didn't go to seminary. I wasn't systematic. I am very lucky from where I come from, very fortunate for nice things and, and you know, a good warm house and that I don't have to fend for myself. But nothing was of the ordinary. Everything was a challenge. I didn't find my place right away. And I think the biggest lesson that anyone can learn that it's okay, you're gonna find your thing. And if you're passionate about something, don't bury it. Like you can get to it. And, and it's important to, it's really important to, you know, so many people message me like, I have this dream and I'm always scared to start it. And I'm like, if it's something you're really passionate about, like you feel it in your gut and you're like, I need this, you're going to do it. And it's going to be great, but you really have to believe in it. Yeah. It's there's this idea of the timeline is something that has always fascinated me, particularly, I mean, it's, this is really true of all insular communities. Like I'm, there's like movies about like waspy, uh, you know, waspy girls who feel the same kind of pressure, but it's the same, it's the same kind of thing where it's like, you have this very specific timeline of, like you said, it's like high school, seminary, marriage, baby, car, house, eternity band, like all of that 
is very regimented. And in a lot of ways, opening your own company doesn't fit into that. Like when I was dating all the time, people would tell me, oh, I'm, so I'm going to tell him that you're a teacher because like entrepreneur doesn't really work. And I was like, you can tell him whatever you want, but I guarantee you, I'm like, you could lie to him if you want, but he'll just be really annoyed at you. Cause like, this is, this is what I'm doing. And this is what's going to happen in a lot of ways. Your life hasn't in, in, within that, that timeline, right. Within that same kind of prescribed way that we live our lives, a lot of ways it can feel like there's a prescribed way that you have to look. Um, and, and like you said, especially at the time, the open drama, you did not look that way. You were, you were much larger than you are now. And was there any part of you that was thinking like, okay, I'm just going to become like the plus size girl. I'm good. That's, that's just going to be my thing. Did you want to do that? Like what were it was, like you said, you had that guy in the back of your head. Was it, was it, were you really like, how much did that get into your head and how much did the way that you look kind of play into wanting to, or not wanting to go ahead with it? I feel like this is about to be like an AA meeting. Hi, I'm Rahman and I have major body image issues. I Join the have, club, honey. <laughs> I have had body image issues probably since 10th grade. I was never skinny, to use that word. I was never skinny, but I was never on the heavier side. In 11th grade, I gained a tremendous amount of weight due to a medication that I was taking um, to keep me focused in school. I no longer take it, but my school suggested it because I was literally like never in class, like I said. Um, and I gained a tremendous amount of weight and it was very, very frustrating to both me and my mother, me first seeing a new body and the different changes and my mother being this regular floppish lady who wanted her child to graduate and get married eventually. Um, so the significant weight gain just from 11th grade just kept going and um it, it, it's really hard to be oversized and overweight when you're about to enter shadachim because skinny is equals beautiful it doesn't matter if you're a not good personality or a not nice person it doesn't matter because that equals marriage and happiness and beautifulness and um, I used to think it's just in a from society and it's not, it's universally. I think different cultures find bigger women attractive, but universally heavy Western, is heavy. Yeah. In Western, in Western spaces, it's, it you know, is, you, you want to be, you want to be smaller. Right. And um, it's something I definitely personally struggle with. I think that's why D-Rama is something that I'm like, I wake up so passionate about because when I post a quote or a body positive meme, or a song, or a video, I'm genuinely talking to myself. If you would follow Dirama, you would know my problems, and my issues, and my funniness, and my rawness. I keep the page very positive, clean, and light. I don't get involved in any of the Instagram drama, or the pages that need to be shared. Some people are really, really nice, and they share all about the, you know, those women that were going through all the, trying to get their gets um, for a divorce, and all those things, political things, presidential things. I'm not like that. All I post is the clothes, my own life, and about body positivity. And when I post it, it's really about myself. I'm very transparent about my issues and where I'm holding. Um, I was, like I said, a, a lot, lot heavier. I'm talking 300 pounds heavier. Um, I mean, I'm not that I was 300 pounds heavier, meaning that I was at 300 pound mark. Um, I just want to clarify. And in 2012, uh, my mother convinced me slash guided me to doing the band. Um, it was way before Zirama. And I think that the reason it didn't work and I had it removed two years later was because I think with these things, people think it's like a quick fix, but instead it's actually something that you have to be ready for and have to be ready to follow and need to be ready to work with it. Yes, it's a quick fix. You'll lose weight. I lost 115 pounds. It was great. I also got sick a year and a half later and gained most of it back. So it's definitely a tool. You need to be ready for it. I wasn't ready for it. I wasn't ready to do the work. I just wanted to be thin so badly because I wanted to be so accepted so badly. But I've come to realize as an, a, more of, of an adult than I was then that really happiness comes from within. doesn't matter your size and nobody, whether you're married, single, whatever, nobody's giving you happiness. It really comes from yourself. And it's something I really, um, I, I, I hope that it's okay to be so honest. It's something that I really, really struggle with on a day-to-day -day basis. I have in my own room, in my own bathroom, I have notes on the walls that are positive information. Like just, I love you, you're beautiful because I need it. I know myself. 
I need it. I need someone that's going to constantly tell me you're amazing. You're beautiful. You're, it's something I don't feel all the time. And I work on it. And there are days where I'm like, I am the hottest thing in the world. And then there's days where I don't feel it. It, it, it goes both ways. I'm not sure in life that everyone had, like there's somebody out there that has it all together every day and thinks they're the hottest person every day. I'm not sure yet, but it's definitely something I'm working on. And I think that that's what makes me so relatable and so honest. Um, I obviously don't go on Instagram and be like, Hey, I had the band in 2012 and you know, I removed it and I don't talk about it. Um, I think because there is a stigma with admitting surgeries and all that stuff. And if, but if somebody asks me, I'm happy to talk about it. Um, so I did that. And then right before COVID, I went on a diet called the keto diet. And, um, I stayed on for like, I'd say through almost the summer, my sister had gotten engaged and through the summer I stayed on it and I lost about 80 pounds on my own. Um, I work out, I am super self-conscious like any other person. Um, I definitely fluctuate. I don't know if I'll always be this thin. I don't know if I'll, if I'll get bigger. It's really not about a number or skirt size. Um, and it's something I'm always going to be struggling with. And I think that that's the truth. And I think that I don't love myself anymore now that I'm thinner. I don't think I'm any happier. I think it's really in the mind. And I think it's something that women all over of all ages, all colors, all sizes feel. It's not a skinny or a big thing. It's more of a person thing. And uh, you could be the thinnest person and still feel like the ugliest person in the room. And I've come to realize through dating, being heavier and skinnier, that if a person likes you, they're going to like you at any size. And it's just about you and that person making that connection. So to say I'm not married because I'm not thin is not the correct answer. To say I'm not married because I never met the right person yet, I would say that's pretty much, or maybe it's not the right time. Right. It's, um, it's interesting that you, that you frame it that way, because I mean, you, you, DRAMA is an exclusively plus size, um, store. So you don't deal with, um, you know, you don't deal with particularly thin people, but I do my line is sizes two through 24. So the same you, we see, I see all the time in DMS in emails in conversations with my custom clients that I'm meeting one-on-one the same language around, does this make me look bigger? Is this flattering? Is this a good thing that I want to do? Kind of like finding that little blubber and pinching it. The same language happens in a size two as it does in a size 24. Like the confidence, not even confidence, comforting your own skin, feeling good about yourself is a completely separate thing from the way that we look. And the truth is that we've all just been sold to this lie that, oh, all you need to do is all you need to do is lose the, you know, you just need to lose the 50 pounds and then you'll feel amazing. You just need to, you know, you just need to make that salary and then you'll feel amazing. You just need to, you know, find the husband and then you'll feel amazing. And the truth is that no one can make you feel anything. Our feelings are our own and how we, and, and they're, and they're ours to control, which is wonderful and terrifying all at the same time. Yeah. hundred percent. That's why I'm so into promoting being happy where you are, whether you're that size 22 or you're that size two. Find the happiness within you and find whatever makes you happy. That's literally what I promote on the Rabbit because it's literally what I'm struggling with. So when I can be honest with people, I think that's where I get, you know, the most positive feedback for authenticity. Right. The the best and worst word in the entire English language. I want to talk about competition because I bet that a lot of people would be very surprised that you and I genuinely like each other and that we like we genuinely uh, get along. I, I will be honest with you. I, I pretty much would say that I am the first fully just plus size from line, like where I just focus on those plus sizes. Um, there have been stores that have been opened up in random places like Lakewood that had like um, a season or two of other pl- like plus size companies that weren't actually the plus size. They were like that large, extra large, um, 14, 16, 18 of a dress that people have made. Um, and I find that there wasn't, there was so much room for this. There wasn't really something. So to me, coming into a market with so many amazing, literal amazing girl boss designers, I'm not even joking. Everyone has been so nice. 
like so, so nice. I literally always have a problem with like a shipping or whatever problem I have. I always call Miriam from a parallel. She's the sweetest. She always directs me and tells me. She is me the best. How to respond. Yeah. She's like, don't be sensitive. T- say this. You want to say that. She is so nice. I'm always calling her. There have been so many people that I have offered to do a pop-up in my store or that I have reached out to myself. I really have no like bad blood or bad vibes with anyone per se. I think there are definitely people that are not necessarily a fan of me, but that's okay. What makes you say um, that? What do you think? What business. do you think makes them not a fan? Um, I think certain people are like, I've been on the market before you. I know before you, I have had also sizes that are bigger. Like I've had a few comments here and there, like those under whatever underlining things or like someone recently like copied a dress of mine. And to me, I was like, oh, I'm so honored. And so many people were sending it to me. How disgusting. And I was like, oh my God, I'm A, I'm so honored. And B, there's so much business for everyone. Like, which means good luck. Anyone does right. Um, It's literally like, I don't know. Like, I'm so like, there's so much room for everyone. I'm like, that was my point. The more plus size, the merrier. The more stores, the better. That was my... That was my goal. I wanted every store to have plus size, whether it was mine or somebody else's, because I wanted that when I was that little kid going to a store on 18th Avenue with my mother and then telling them, them telling me and my mother, we don't have our size. I never want that to happen to anyone ever. I want everyone to be able to go to shopping on the Avenue, wherever they live, wherever the shopping streets are, Main Street, wherever it is, Bar Park, wherever you live. And walk into a store with your friends at any size and be able to purchase something and never have that ugly feeling. I recently, personally, okay, and now I'm a size 10, 12. I went to a store in Lakewood. I will not say the name. And I told the lady I need a size medium of a certain skirt. I was wearing the physical skirt. I bought it. I've had it. I went to buy a double. And she goes, you need a double XL. She didn't even, I was so <laughs> insulted. And I was like, oh my God, like, that's such that's a weird so way to stupid. It's so stupid on so many levels. I never, ever want that to happen to anyone. So the more, the merrier. There is no competition. It's, uh, there's so much room for everyone. There's so much business. I love what you do. And I think also a lot of the businesses have their own flair. Like I think your business has totally your flair of your personality and your sense of style. And mine has mine. I don't think that, I think that everyone has their own thing. And I think that you're going to have different customer base for each company. And I think that's what makes it unique and wonderful. And there's enough room for everyone. I'm rooting for you. I would do a pop-up. You can come do a pop-up of me. And that's, that's how it should be. I don't, I don't. We keep meaning to schedule this pop-up and it just keeps not happening because like schedules just get so crazy. I know, I know, I know we're going to do it. But the, I think that what's also, I think that it, like in our particular situation. So let's say I, um, what you go to like 10 to 24 around, that's your size range-ish, right? I would say I go from 10 to really a 26. 26. Okay. So yeah. Cause I know you use an, an X system. So it's like zero right. X, one X, two X. Okay. When uh, I started, I did the, I did the numbers and people got insulted with W's and this. So I just decided it's zero, one, two, three, no X's just zero, one, two, three. Zero, one, two, three. Okay, I like that. So I now do we have four and a five. <laughs> okay, so I that's that's fantastic. So I do sizes two through twenty-four, and I use the numbers because I just think it's the most universal. And what I think in like in our particular case, when it comes to some of the drama that can exist in the Orthodox fashion world, is that in a lot of ways our existence is saying to the people who have been around for a very long time, listen, you forgot about a bunch of people. And listen, I was I. I don't want to say that like the, I've ranged in size in my life, probably from like a, a, a six for a very short amount of time, like maybe like two months to, um, to like uh, somewhere in like the 14 ish range. And I've been all of those sizes at, at one point or another. And at, at, for, with the exception of when I was like a six, eight, which was like maybe one year, I couldn't shop in mainstream orthodox stores i just couldn't do it they did not have but you know like you said once you have the fupa and that's just where i care like it just wasn't happening and when we come in with our lines that are not only sized inclusively but cut inclusively in a way that like they work for people who have bellies it just you are saying listen you messed up like these i was the kid who could never buy your bellies arms 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 Arms. oh my god their arms arms and shirts 
Oh yes. Oh my God. Arms. So true. But it's, you know, we're saying to the people who have been doing this, you know, since we're kids and we're both in our twenties that listen, you messed up, you forgot about us. And I get that that's a hard pill to swallow, but I also think that people get stuck in this mindset of, you know, every time someone buys something, every Drama customer is not a lost impact customer and it doesn't work the right way. Do you know what I mean? Like my customers, like my, they, they coexist. And I'm sure that we overlap in a million ways. I'm sure that there are people who have both of us in their closets. And it's just fascinating to me that, I don't know, you can, you can get along. And also, by the way, the more people who are buying modest, inclusive clothing online, the better it is for both of us. So if we both do well, then we both do well. Like there's enough to go around. There really truly is. Yeah, and I honestly think we don't even collide at all. Like why, why would we like, why would there be drama? Like, I, I don't even understand it when I see somebody, let's say at a marketplace, that, that's amazing. Like, you know, when they feel like a little bit threatened, I'm like, why? Like, you know, like, I'm so happy for you. And I, and I hope there's a thousand customers there for you. Like there is enough to go around. Believe me, we are, we are, we are Jews. There is enough <laughs> everywhere. Okay. I'm there's enough even, events and enough clothes. Thank God for Chabad. Okay. There's Chabad everywhere. There's a community everywhere. That is so true. That is so, so true. I want to, I want to circle back for a second. Cause I'm curious if there was a part of you, something that just popped into my head when you, when you made the decision to go keto and to start losing weight, was there a part of you that felt like now, like you had previously been, I like, I can't think of any better way to say this, but you had previously been like, I'm the happy, confident fat girl. Like this is, I'm wonderful in my body and you should be here too. And come buy my beautiful big clothes, which by the way, they are beautiful. Then was there a part of you when you decided to become smaller that was like, that was concerned about that? Or that was like, so truthfully, the whole, you know, the whole reason behind becoming smaller at that time during COVID was that my sister of seven years younger than me was dating and was potentially about to get married. And I think it was like an aha moment in my brain that was like, Rahama, you're going to get left behind. Do whatever you could if you can. And I think that like, I got nervous for her wedding. I remember at my brother's wedding, feeling super uncomfortable. Um, my younger brother's wedding, feeling super uncomfortable that people were looking at me like, she's beautiful, but she's very heavy. And, you know, so she's not married and the by you, you know, which means God willing by you. Um, I was just bugging out by his wedding and I wasn't present. I remember hiding in the room and feeling uncomfortable and I had a beautiful gown and I looked beautiful. I, my hair, my makeup, everything's done. And I remember not being present and it bothered me so much that I guess that was like the motivation behind it. And it's not like being skinny equals happiness. And I knew that because I had done the band three years before. So I, I knew what it was like to lose weight and have people look at you differently and to tell you all the time, you look so amazing. And I guess that was like the drive. Like I didn't want to feel left behind at Tina's wedding. I wanted to feel beautiful and believe me, I look beautiful at her wedding. So it, it was kind of worth it. And it's not even about, it's not even about the number on the scale or the outside. It's the way I felt about myself inside my own body. I didn't feel like people were staring. I didn't feel like pitied. I felt accomplished. I felt like I'm a boss. I own my own clothing company and I'm not a nobody because I don't have a somebody. I'm a somebody. I work hard. I'm a good person. I'm a good daughter. I'm a good aunt. And it doesn't mean that marriage equals happiness or marriage equals your sense of respect in a society. And I, I, I guess that really what stemmed like within me of just like, you got this. And like, Will I get heavy again? Maybe. I'm definitely not on a diet. I had a bagel for breakfast. Do I watch what I eat and still work out? Yeah, here and there. Am I the most determined like I was, you know, prior to my sister's wedding? No. Do I, do I like feeling, you know, that I have, I can walk into a store and buy clothes anywhere? Yeah, I do like it. Does it mean I'm always happy? No. And I think that body image and weight is a struggle that I'll probably have forever, which is probably why, even though I lost weight, I can still be in conversation with people and really relate to them. And really like, you know, I was that girl that went to camp at a size 22 and the camp t-shirt didn't fit me. And I needed to put it around the chair at night to stretch it. I am that girl that didn't have things to wear at weddings. I am that girl that grew up and boys called me fat. I am that girl that went on dates and boys 
seems so disinterested because they obviously didn't know what I looked like before. I am that girl that feels that sometimes that like people don't understand me because being heavy is really who I am. So it's like, you can't relate, you know? I, I, I could talk about this till I'm blue in the face. Do you think that respect is reserved for the married people in our community? Yeah, I do. I really do. I think that I see the way my younger sister of seven years gets spoken to and gets sat at certain weddings or events um, just because there's a ring on a finger and a shaitel on her head. Um, it's not a bad thing, but it's also like, I'm only nine years older. Like, hello, put me with the little kids at the weddings. You know, I don't know. I just, what do you I mean? Feel- what do you mean? It's not a bad thing. I don't think I- it's a bad thing per se. I think it creates like this no space for singles. That's what it is. I, I don't think it's a bad thing that we give respect to married people. I don't think it's a bad thing that, you know, it's flips of the switch overnight from a wedding to the next day that they're automatically like people of society, let's give them their privacy. Let's respect them. Let's, you know, I deserve a watch because I'm married. I, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's like part of change and the next step of life. But you know what? My dad tells me I have to be home at 12 o'clock at night. I'm like, dad, I could have three kids already. Like you can't tell me what time to come home. Like, you know, right. but like my brother, like can walk in at any hour because he's married with a kid. So like, it's different. Um, or who gets the better bedroom in the house upstate? Like it's just stupid, stupid things that come up. But like, I don't know. I feel like I th- I think it's nice how respected people are when they get married. But I also think that for the singles, you kind of feel like you're floating and there's no space for you in our community. So I feel like I you're. The, I want to I want to prove that you can be accomplished in someone of society without being with somebody. Right. I think that I definitely had a lot of the same feelings and granted I got married at 22. So I have like zero, I have zero right to, to even have this conversation, but I know that from my own experience, I was always so frustrated with, and I had started, I always say I've known my business longer than I've known my husband. Um, I started, I started impact when I was 21. So for me, and at the time I was exclusively wholesale, wholesale became 10 times easier. The second I had a wig on the absolute second to the point where I was even joking beforehand. And my grandmother was dead serious. She was like, what are you talking about? You have sisters. I have a ring. You can be married when you sell, like put on the wig and wear the, and wear the ring and go and like, and go. And I didn't do it. I should have, it would have been a fun social experiment, but I got, but like, it was the kind of thing where I felt like my accomplishments were only recognized once I had the guy and which was, which, which was more frustrating once I was married, because I was like, I have literally, like literally the only thing that has changed is that I have, is that I have a a permanent roommate now and, and that's it. And now all of a sudden it's so impressive what I'm doing. In our community, you are a nobody till you're with a somebody. That's just the way it is. It really is so true. And it's, it's very frustrating being somebody that. So what, what, what can we do better? you know, what can we do better? What are ways, you know, if, if someone is listening to this and they want to, and they want to, I don't want to say better relate to, but just not be a butthead to single people that are around them. What are the, what are the ways that we do better? What are the ways that we can do things better? I I just, I'm such a person that I, like, I always feel that you can't change a whole world of a way of thinking. You can change one person and that's a start. Um, But I think that just being more sensitive and more recognizable, like is really important. Like just being nice and like respectful and looking at them like they're somebody. Like I can't explain to you how many times I walk into our room and like somebody else standing right next to me is getting all this. And I'm standing here and I'm like, you know, I have a job also. Like, you know, I'm somebody else. Like what I think is interesting also is that when it comes to like, I don't know if you have this experience, but a lot of people assume that when I got married, I would shut down my company, that it was like, my, yeah, a lot of people were just like, oh, so this is like your hobby to like keep you busy while you're dating. And you ever stop? What? Hell no. No, it was oh. like, no, it was just, it was just this most, the strangest thing where I was just like, oh, so are you going to, are you going to keep working? Are you going to keep, um, like, are you, are you going to keep the company going? Like, you're not going to keep doing, it's so much work. You're not going to keep doing that. Like you need to be you, you need to be home when your husband comes home. And I was, you know, retail is a lot. 
oh, it is. No, it's a ridiculous amount of work. Of course it is. But what I always found so fascinating, I was like, me and my husband work approximately the same hours. We're both, you know, super committed to our jobs and we both, and we both work very long hours. And also when we were dating, I told him straight out, I was like, by the way, I'm just letting you know right now. And I think, I think this was maybe our like, we had known each other for like two weeks um, or maybe not even that long. I was like, I just want to let you know that if you're looking for a stay-at-home mom type, then we should just, this is not going to work. And like, this is, this is just not, I think the exact phrasing I used was that if I stayed home all day with my kids, I would probably end up killing them. Um, I'm pretty sure that was the exact phrasing that I used. And, and he was like, oh, okay. And every now and then he brings it up because it's just so funny. He's, and I was, and it's, and it is like this, that's just not the kind of person I am. And we both were, it was so fascinating to me. I was like, nobody's asking my husband what time he's getting home from work. No one has ever, ever asked him that. And there are plenty of times when he gets home way later than I do. And there are plenty of times when I get home way later than he does. And it's just, it's so it's funny. Just, no one has ever asked me, like, I guess, cause I'm not de- like, get, I, I'm not seeing someone specific or I'm not getting married. The entire date. time. Maybe it was also because I was younger, like for a very long time, people considered this like a weird pet project that Rifki was doing. Like, cause I started it when I was 21. I had already been, I already had my own business for about two and a half years out of my parents' house doing alterations and making custom gowns and like sewing them myself. So mm-hmm. that was something that I knew would never really scale. See, and that's then- what I think is cool about you and me. I don't know the first thing about sewing anything or drawing. Like it's drawing. I can't do. I hate drawing. Like, I hate like drawing. the fact that you can be hands-on and do it. Like when I have to take pins out and like show somebody how it could be shortened, sometimes I look like a freak because I'm like, <laughs> it's like a little it. bit of panic. Yeah. yeah. I go through it, but I, that's, I think it's super cool. If you, you can't draw and you don't pattern, yeah. how do you get your design ideas across? Cause for okay. me, I could never give up the patterning because I can't draw. I can, I, I can do very terrible technical drawings but for me drawing is really really difficult and but I can pattern and I can see it in my head so I actually write paragraphs and I'm and it's literally like move this seam over a quarter of an inch that way and move and I personally make the sample like I make the physical sample with safety pins you're gonna laugh I buy material I cut it and it's obviously looks raw like a muslim it doesn't look like anything specific so you drape basically. Do you use a dress form? I use, I have a mannequin in my house and I have fabric and I literally, I'll come up with an idea. I'll find a base of a dress that I like and I'll cut off the sleeves and I'll stick it on so that they understand what I want. Right. I'll make it off. I'll make it. It's, it's not very complex. It's not a gown. It's not beading. I don't have anything. It's I, I'm, I'm still the basic weird. There are sometimes where I veer into like dressy, but I'm pretty much basic every day, a little bit of Shabbos. Um, but I'm not into like dressy or gowns or evening wear. I did experiment and try. I did find that my specific customer base wasn't willing to spend what it costs on a dressier outfit. And it's quite expensive, especially when it's plus size that equals more fabric and more things. Um, and people weren't interested in spending like six, $700. I guess my clientele is not Mary's clientele, you know, like that end. Um, so it was a, trial and it right was fun. it's so interesting because I never it's so funny because we've never uh, had the chance to speak about this but it was yeah I think that also the like I got into it because I love creating clothes I have been sewing since I'm 10 like I love making clothes and I think that that does come across in my designs and I think the fact that like the fact that you don't sew comes across in your designs also and gives them your unique look and your which is a really beautiful look it's just very different and I don't know. I would like to think that we would still, I think that we would, that we would still get along great if our stuff overlapped more. The truth is that our stuff really doesn't. Um, but it's, I don't know, this is all just so, so super fascinating. And I think that at the end of the day, when it comes to what we both do, it's really just about how people end up feeling when they leave. Right. I lo- I can't explain to you how much I love when someone walks out of my store with a bunch of bags and they're like, you know what? I've never had this before. Like where I went into the store and I got so many things. I'm so excited. I'm so excited to wear this. I look so nice. It's the best feeling. It's like, it's like when you know you made someone's day and you know they're going to feel beautiful going somewhere because of you. It's the best feeling. Like, yeah, money's great. The sales are great. I promise you, you could take this. You could post this everywhere. I do not do Drama for the money. It's not about the money for me. It's really about the message behind it. and the feeling that I get to have when I know somebody's happy, not saying that the money isn't great and not saying that I don't love that aspect of it. It definitely helps pays my bills get to live the life I like, 
but it's not about that. I just, I get so excited. Trust me, if you were in it just for a mo- for the money, there are a lot simpler industries to be in. That is yeah, for sure. Yeah. We didn't even get into talking about how crazy retail actually is. Do you want it for a couple minutes? I have a couple minutes if you want to. Oh my goodness, like I can't deal with these, especially this, this season now before high holidays, the returns, the people that were away over the summer. Alita came into my store yesterday. She bought something July 1st. Oh, oh, I want, honey. I want to return. I, I was upstate. I couldn't get it back here. Come on, come on. You know me. I am always coming here. I want to return now. I said, I'm so sorry. She's like, she was so disappointed and disgusted by me. I was like, what do you mean? That's what policies. Policies are only for businesses protection and for the customer's protection. So like when you make a purchase, you know what you're purchasing. Like, right. Goodness, I have stories up the wazoo. You don't even know I've dealt with Rabunim and, and, and oh my goodness. Rabunim? When, when did the rabbis get involved? Oh my for God. Do you want to hear a good story? Please. Okay. This past winter, I sold a dress with ostrich feathers. If anybody knows what ostrich feathers are, there are these feathers that are either at the bottom of a dress or at the bottom of a top, and they're very delicate. And when you buy ostrich feathers, whether it's at, at a fabric store in New York or you buy it on a dress, it's most likely that after you wear it six, seven times, feathers start to shed off. It's right, very that's, del- that's normal. Yeah, it's a very delicate feather. So this dress, okay, had an abundance of feathers, okay? It was a gorgeous dress. And it retailed at $200. And at the end you of the got season, an ostrich feather dress retailed for $200? Yes. That's amazing. Yeah. My, wow. manufacturer, my manufacturer did not want to do it for me. He said, it's not worth the money. I wouldn't make money off of it. I ended up really not making money off of it. I don't even want to talk about it because I'm never doing ostrich feather again on dresses. I actually did it on a top this season. So we'll see how that goes. But anyways, so at the end of the season, it was on sale. It was on sale for $60 from $200 to $60. And a woman came into my store from Lakewood and she tried on the dress. I have her on camera trying on the dress at changing her size of the dress. She wanted a bigger size and she walked out and she loved the dress and she was very happy all on camera, all the footage. About a month later, she messaged me on Instagram. Hey, is it normal that the feathers should be shedding? said yes minimal shedding is is it happens and you know what as long as you can wear it a few times it happens you never buy something in forever 21 or target and you know after six seven years it has a little pimply or whatever even my designer items sometimes you know a thread i just wore a monique lelier dress guess what a thread pulled the whole dress there what my dress for four hundred dollars that's life I'm not expecting monique lelier to take a dress back that i wore that i walked past something and things just not the way it is anyways to make a long story short this woman says oh okay that makes sense four weeks later her husband calls the store my wife reached out you guys have to refund us it's not right screaming at my sales girl now let me tell you something if you're somebody that's listening to this if you're disrespectful to a sales girl really need to check your attitude because a sales girl is somebody that's put in place just to service you be nice and do as her boss tells her. She has no clue. She didn't make up a policy. She's not your punching bag. You should not only speak with respect, but you should treat them nicely because they're literally there to service you. Right. And they're, and they're literally just trying to do their job. Like this they don't guy, make the rules. This guy was screaming at her. Now this very young girl said, oh, I'm so sorry. I'll call you back. Let me speak with my book. She called me in a panic mode. She recorded the conversation and sent it to me. She's so smart. I bless her soul. She sent it to me. I, I, I went, I went bananas. I went bananas. First of all, a man disrespecting a woman. Totally. Yeah. Second, you're a Lakewood Bacher. You're so from, this is how you're going to speak to somebody over a $60 dress. Come on. So with my charming, amazing attitude, everyone, I, I wish you could see how I'm smiling right now in this, uh, this video screen. Um, I pick up the phone and I'm like, hi, is this so-and-so? He's like, yes. I said, hi, my name is Rahama. I'm calling from D-Rama. I, I, I heard you just called the store with such a complaint. I said, with all due respect, I just want to let you know before we even get started here, I'm going to try and make you the happiest you can be at the end of the phone call. But I just want to tell you the way you spoke with my sales girl was so inappropriate and so not yashris, like so unright, like for such a, for a guy who's still learning, is that the way you speak to women? 
oh, I'm so sorry. I, I just, I'm so upset. My wife, you know, felt like an idiot and whatever he's going on and on, you know, it's not right. You know, the feathers came off. She reached out to you. I said, sir, you bought this dress. Your wife bought this dress in my store three months ago. She messaged me after a month of owning it already, which means she already wore it because that day when she was in my store, she t- I sold it to her. She told me it was for a simcha that weekend. I don't know if you have children. I don't know if, it pulled, if they, your kids pulled them off. I don't know how she walked in them. Once you leave my store, I have no clue what you do with the dress. You could have thrown it down a garbage chute for all I know. I have no clue. I said, with all due respect, you bought a Metziah, which means a sale. Enjoy you got a, it. You got a bargain forever long or less oh, or less. I'm disputing it. You're not right. This is not how we do business. You have to back up your product. I want my money back. I said, with all due respect. Again, I went back to, you're a learning guy in, 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 a, in a, a largish like school in, in Lakewood. Like, how could you dispute an honest thing that you purchased? You have it. You didn't even bring it back to my store. It's not in my store now. Right. I said, how could you dispute? I'm disputing it. I, I said, you know what? If you dispute it, that's on you. Uh, this is this is sixty dollars. I, I can't believe I'm even fighting with you on something you bought three months ago on sale that your wife wore. I mean, right. sixty dollars to wear something twice, three times, four times at most is a win for me. Right. He's like, you know what? I'm contacting my rov. Blah blah blah. I said, have your rov call me. No, my rov doesn't need to call you. I'm gonna find out if I can dispute it. I said, no. Any rub, I don't know who you use, but any rub would like to hear both sides because that's how rabbanim work. Right. That's anyway. that's the whole point he of conflict mediation. Me, oh my God, he wouldn't give me his rub's number. I basically found out. I contacted the rub. The rub contacted me. Then he contacted me again, a whole email saying how disgusting am I am. I'm writing me a whole thing. Ends up being, the rub told him you can't dispute it. Of course you can't dispute it. Did he listen? Yeah. He listened. I never heard from them again. The lady never came to my store. Of course not. She's mortified. I don't know, but you know something? For all the women listening, your husbands belong at work or at home, not in a clothing dress shop. If you have a problem, pick up the phone and say, I have a problem, X, Y, and Z. And you know something? I even told them. I said, maybe it was a faulty piece. Let me replace it for you all. I'll send you a new of the same dress. So now you have two of the same dress. Nothing would make this guy happy. Right. It was unbelievable. I've ha- I have stories. I, you know, I print them out. I print out all the stories that I put in a book because I'm telling you, it's important to remember these things. Like I have stories of a lady who told me she never got the package. She never got her package. I said, it, it says delivered. Never got my package. I never got, ends up being, she was somebody that was doing this over a few companies. Oh yeah. We figured that out. That was fun. Yeah. Yeah. So. It, un, unbelievable things happen and I'm so grateful for the woman that I'm around I mean me and you are in the same girl boss chat it's so important we get to ask questions we get to benefit from each other and I think it's kind of nice that we could support each other and be there for each other and answer things like I said Miriam from a parallel is literally my go-to if I have a question I'm like Miriam I'm freaking out someone wrote me this yeah this happened she's you're being mean take it down don't post that story <laughs> I have to say that in a lot of ways Miriam is like whenever whenever either of us has a problem on our website we're just texting each other like okay so how do i make this work what's the app how does this happen yeah, yeah this is question, like these things figured out like with the sales she was the one who told me about this app that you could download that people have to check a box a physical box on the screen before they purchase something so it's like they know it's final sale it's final sale yeah it's funny i don't do final sale items so for me it was like just not something that you put yeah. your items no i put my items on sale incredibly rarely um, maybe twice a year, not even. What's um, so I have to say that I do have a clearance section on my site and that has like items that have very few left. A lot of them only have, like when I say very few, I mean a couple of pieces. Like a lot of them only have maybe like five or six max. And usually it's like one of, it's like five or six different sizes also. And I have a clearance section on the site. Um, I personally, also I'm at a much higher price point than you are. Not much higher, but like my dresses start. Yeah, at, I'm, I'm my dresses start at like two forty or so, two fifty. So for me, I do feel like for that price point, especially because I don't have a store, and it's just, if I was a store, I would definitely be doing final sale situations. But because you're buying it online and because it's an expensive item, I do feel like you need to try it on, and I don't think that it's fair to sell something online final sale at this price point. I just don't think so. But also, it's baked into the price, like it's not. 
you know, the, the return shipping back and forth and all of that, that's something that's baked into the price and you're paying for the free, for the free shipping and the free returns when you buy a $270 dress. Like that's just, you know, it's, it's part of what it is on my, the, the difference for me between sale items and not sale items is that my usual return policy is 30 days and on sale items, it's 10. Um, so this way, this way it, it just keeps 30 days for something that is generous. Yeah. I will say this also most, re- I do it for a couple of reasons. I think it's like, I don't know, to me, it just feels like, right. I, it, it just does. I feel like personally, like I, I mean, I'm in the post office every day because I'm shipping, but if I, before I was shipping every day, I'm not, you know, you, you can't always get to the post office and I feel like you need time. Um, and the truth is, Yes, 30 days is generous, generous, excuse me, 90% of my returns come back within the first 10 days. Um, Most people deal with it pretty quickly. So it's not like you don't even end up losing out from it. And yeah, and also, and and it keeps the inventory cycling. So what it also does is that because I stock so many sizes, you are exclusively plus size. So you only do those five sizes, that zero to five X. I do two through 24, that's a dozen sizes. So keeping all of that in stock is a logistical nightmare. And the truth is that sizes do sell out very quickly and having the ability to return I never want someone to end up with something in, a, in their closet that they're not going to wear. And that just makes them sad. That's that to me is the worst end case scenario. Cause like I have pieces in my closet that I can't wear that don't look good on me. And every time I see them, it just makes me sad. And I don't want anyone to be getting that feeling from my clothes. I would much rather take it back and give you the refund or give you the store credit or whatever it is. than then have that, then like have my design be your cause of anguish in your closet. Like that to me is just not, I I can't stomach that. I just, I literally can't stomach it. So yeah. So I do 30 days on regular purchases and 10 days on sale purchases. Anything in the clearance section is also 10 days, um, 10 day return. And then I do, um, and then when I do sales, which is very rare, I think that in 20, I think that in the last 12 months I've done one sale, um, then, then that's, you know, that's what, then, then that's also, it's the 10 day return. Um, and that's, and that's how I run it. That's what I do. So yeah, but the, this whole like final sale. What the, do you feel about, what do you feel about Instagram influencers? Do you send clothes? Like, what do you? I don't anymore. I, I did for a short amount of time. Um, I personally, a couple of things happened. Um, number one, influencer culture got very toxic, got very toxic, very quickly, very, repet- all, very repetitive. And also like everyone was fighting with each other. And I just didn't want to be a part of that at all on any level. Um, and to be perfectly un, and it's funny because I, um, I, in my conversation with Ricky Steiner, which is a couple episodes before this one, um, we spoke about this more in depth for me personally. I mean, to be perfectly honest, the people who you really see results from like the people who they say like, you know, Oh, you give it to her and then you'll sell out. They didn't want my stuff. Um, they, those people were not interested in, I I guess they just didn't like it. I guess I just, I've never in my life have I been the cool girl (laughs) and it did not at all surprise me that I'm still not the cool girl and that's fine. Um, and so the people who did want to take my stuff and I worked with a lot of really, really great people and I had a lot of success with a lot of people, but managing those relationships takes a huge amount of time. And I decided that at the end of the day, see, I used to, I used to wholesale also, and then I switched to exclusively retail. And I did that for a lot of reasons. Um, One of the reasons why I switched to only selling on my, on my site was because I didn't like, I didn't like that my business was dependent on someone else's business. If a store had a bad season for whatever reason, the first thing that they were cutting was my price point and the type of stuff that I sold. So it was the kind of thing where if a store had a bad season, then it was harder for me to resell to them the next season. Not if they had a bad season with my stuff, my stuff was always selling through, but if they had a bad season overall, then they were, then they would come back and say, okay, so we're just not doing that price point. We just can't do it. And I was like, well, why am I worried about like now my business is dependent on your ability to sell things. And sometimes you're not very good at that. So why would I like, why would I want to do that? Um, and I felt like influencers in a lot of ways were the same problems, um, where it was, like it was making my business dependent on somebody else's business and oh, the way that somebody else runs. With me, there is nobody to send to, to be honest. And that was the other thing also. That was the other thing also. There was like, I didn't want to be sending to all these tiny, tiny girls because I am an inclusive company and I would love to be sending to, you know, a huge, to, to, to a variety of people in a variety right. of sizes, but, but I, you can't find it. 
but I am super grateful because anybody that I have sent anything to, um, it wasn't necessarily translating into sales for me. It was about exposure, but I think we can both agree that Drama has lots and lots of exposure and it's a very well-known brand. I think people is very, it's recognized. People know what it is. Um, it's things that people speak about on their pages. Um, I think people come for positivity and things. So I don't feel like it's not known. I think that influencers could be helpful with exposure, not necessarily sales. And right now we have the same six, seven bloggers who each fight with each other or badmouth each other. And um, they just keep promoting, all of them keep promoting the same thing. So it becomes who's reputable and who's not, like what's real and what's not. Right. So for me, I like following certain ones and I unfollowed a lot just because like, I don't want to see that. Like it's not, it's not of interest to me. Yeah. But I do have some luck because just like us, it's a business. And um, yeah, I have no, like, I have no judgment on how anyone chooses to run their business and, and blogging is a business and it's a lot of work and there's a lot of time that goes into it. To me personally, I also felt like what I wanted to, a cup, I don't love the idea of like my business being super dependent on Instagram period, which is why I'm always running promotions to get people to sign up for my emails because, you know, that's what, you know, that's what I own. And that's true, really where I see the most return also. So uh, you asked me about sales. One of the things that I do, um, that I, that I do do, uh-huh. um, I'm a five-year-old at heart. Um, but one of, one of those things is that, um, I run something called lovely perks, which is a discount. It's, it's a promo on a, on a specific item for one week that I send out exclusively to my email list. And sometimes it's stuff that it's always something that I have a nice amount of stock of. So it's usually something on the newer side because like my older stuff, I just don't have the pieces of it sells through pretty quickly. And the, um, and I, and I do it exclusively to my emails. And then I promote that on my Instagram beforehand saying like, I'm telling you right now that there's going to be a promotion on a specific item. It's going out on Monday. If you want to get on the list, the link is in my bio sign up. And because I don't love the idea of being fully dependent on Instagram. And for me, it was also just, it wasn't, I don't know. There was just something about, I don't know. There was something about the whole influencer space that felt like it wasn't, it wasn't promoting the type of person that I wanted to be promoting. Like to me, it felt like all of the people who were my customers were kind of fed up with it. And they were kind of fed up with, listen, it does have a fake look to it. And I'm not saying that means that it is fake or that everyone who blogs is fake or that there's, uh, I'm, I'm not saying that, but it well, is. Instagram in general, because it's only highlighting and showing. Exactly. It is, a, it is a superficial I don't, job. I don't personally post a photo of me crying. Right. And I post nothing of my personal life, literally nothing. And it's, and, and I get that, but to me, I just felt like the, the, with the, it didn't, it like the two things didn't mesh where it's like when I'm talking about and where my goal is, you know, similar to you, where everyone should just feel not only beautiful, but that they are deserving of feeling beautiful, that everyone should feel like I deserve good clothes and I deserve to feel good in my skin. That to me did not seem to mesh with a lot of what happens in the influencer space. So I dropped it. And I got to say, I did it as an experiment with, um, I did as an experiment with the skirt that I ran and, and I had tried to get that skirt to bloggers. I had tried and no one, no one who was, no one was really interested. So I didn't. And it, Were you insulted? yeah, definitely. I was definitely insulted. I was, I had also, I had hired an agent to reach out to people cause I didn't have the time to manage it. And this was someone who like had connections and I knew was like friendly with those people and, and whatever. So it was also the kind of thing where I wasn't, I knew that the conversations were like, I knew that people were talking about me behind my back. Cause I literally hired someone to do that. And there, and there was a part of me that was like, so like, how much is she sugarcoating this when she's telling me like, okay, so this and this person doesn't want to, doesn't want to do it. And I was like, oh, doesn't want to, doesn't want to work with me. Doesn't like this style. Does it, is, this is not a good time for them. Like there's a million and 10 reasons why someone could choose not to work with you. And one of them is I don't like you or your stuff. And then there's a million and 10 other reasons. And, and I did feel a little bit, yeah, I, yeah, I was definitely hurt. And there was definitely a part of me that was like, okay, you've never been a part of the cool kids and you're not, and it's not starting now, honey. Um, and then, you know, it turns out that there's a lot more people, you know, at the loser's table and that's fine. And I'm whatever, I don't want to call myself a loser, but to a certain extent, like there's, there is, there is that aspect of it. But that's what I was saying before. 
your clothes are your flair, your style, your, and if you think that there are hundreds of yous, there are. Right. There are. And that's the point is that the thing that I've proven. That's why there's so many businesses that could coexist and still be friends. Right. I do not. I think that, yes, we have some sizes that cross over, but our styles are so different. Right. Yeah. And the way we think are different. So I think that there's so much room for business for the both of us. And, and I would love to see the same client that wears my dress, wear your dress. Like, right. It's true. And one of these days our schedules are going to coordinate and I'm going to do a pop-up in your store and it's, right. and it's, and it's going to happen. This has been, I, we went so way over time. This has been a fantastic conversation. Um, if somebody wants to learn more about you, Rahama or Drama, where can they go? Well, they can definitely follow the Instagram at Drama. Or they can check our website out, dramanyc.com. There's a section called about Rahama and there's a few blogs. And um, yeah, that's pretty much where they can find us. That's fantastic. And the last thing I want to ask you is what I ask everyone who comes on the show. And that is to you, Rahama Jaffe, what does it mean to make an impact? What does it mean to me to make an impact? That is a really deep question you just threw there at the very end. I know. Girl. I know. Oh, Rahama Jaffa, come on. What is an impact? An impact, okay. I guess, I guess something that would, that I'd like to, I'd like to impact others to love themselves more. I love that. Thank you so much for coming on today, Rahama. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Rifki, for having me. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Rahama and Dirama, the links are in the show notes. I've also included a link there, by the way, to sign up for the lovely perks that I mentioned. The Be Impactful podcast is a project of impact fashion, the clothing line I created because I believe that we are all deserving of the beautiful things life has to offer. See my modest designs that are available in sizes 2 through 24 by going to impactfashionnyc.com. Access all of that by swiping up on the cover art. There are currently 12 people listed by Ora Agunot as a recalcitrant party. View their names, photos, locations, and details of their cases by visiting getora.org slash recalcitrant parties. The episode art was designed by Michelle Moses, original music composed by Nissan Fetman. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Rifkitzquitz. Catch me on Instagram and Facebook at impact.fashion.myc. As always, here's to making an impact together.